Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Passano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday night segment of the Outer Realm. We are broadcasting live on United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. We are fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee who have been on this journey with us since the very beginning. So we thank them from the bottom of our hearts and hope that we will continue on down the same path. This is Pretty darn good path. Also, <laughs> big thank you to Dr. Snick, a.k.a. Justin Snicker, the sonic surgeon, for his sponsorship and contribution of our intro and outro. He is an award-winning composer of Halloween, horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, which can be found anywhere that good music can be found. Now, tonight, we welcome for the first time Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Uh, they are co-producers of the new documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Need we say more? I think it is awesome. So we are looking forward to uh, looking at their trailer this evening and hearing what they've got to, well, basically got to tell us. It's always fascinating uh, for me. Um, but in order to participate in tonight's show, you're going to have to head on over to, let's make our way down the list, Facebook, News on the Flip Side, Outer Realm with me, myself, me, myself, Amelia. I was going to say myself and Amelia, but I'm tongue-tied tonight. Uh, <laughs> UFO, Paranormal Radio, and United Public Radio, Canada's Most Haunted. Then we jump over to YouTube, which, of course, is the Outer Realm, uh, UFO, Paranormal Radio, and UFO, Gods, and Extraterrestrials. And if you like what you see, please give us the courtesy of... Um, subscribing. We really appreciate you and it really helps us a lot and it's always appreciated and you guys are very appreciated. So we love you. So I see people are chiming in. Hey, Tamara, Wayne, Summer, Michelle, Zachman. Ooh, hello, hello, hello. hello. Wow. <laughs> Bubbles look tired today. Oh my <laughs> so. gosh. Yeah. Bubbles have been cleaning. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like a new cleaner that comes to the house and not the person, the product. No, I was going to say, what? And you're I tired? love it. I'm not <laughs> going to give the name because they don't pay us to talk about them, but it smells like almonds and it's all natural. I love it. Oh, I like that. And it works. Their whole than... line is, is safe for children and pets. So it's really making me happy. Even the, um, the other one that I got, earlier uh for granite you can clean your countertops and you don't have to you don't have to i'm laughing at way you don't have to worry about washing the chemical off it's food safe it's not a chemical wayne right, right. sherpa has been cleaning today as well yeah cleaning laundry <laughs> catching up yeah sherpa as well, well it wow. took me a, it took me a good chunk of time to do my dining room that's a lot of wood 
but yeah. Uh, all tired all day. Yeah. You had a pull the night before. Yeah, you you need to be able to sleep through those. So you have to make sure you're getting eight to ten hours or something like that, right? Isn't it like CBD? I think you need a sativa. Make sure it's a sativa. <laughs> that a will sativa? help you. A sativa helps you sleep. Gives you oh. disease. <laughs> oh, Apparently. Wow. Hopefully I got the lingo right. Yeah, if I sure take CBD oil, I'm out cold for like hours. Uh-huh. All right, link sent off. <clears throat> so, hey, Rich. Hi, Rich. Um, so, do so we I want to just go over the bio, just in case it kind of pop in real oh. quick? I'm prepared. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at Wayne's Wayne's comment. Uh, That's why sanding, vacuuming, washing the yes. floors with bad water. <laughs> okay. Um, you might as well not wash the many. floors if it's that. It's like that. I just take straight vinegar when it's, you have a problem. But tonight, the co-producers of the new documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, we are discussing the interviews from researchers and eyewitnesses with extraordinary stories and evidence, as well as historical accounts of Bigfoot and the significance within the Indigenous culture. Please welcome to our show, Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. As we wait. As we wait. <laughs> yes, we go. but we got it out. <laughs> hey, we got one. Woo -hoo. We got it out. Hey, we got it out. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm here. Hi. Good. How are you? Are. Sorry, good. I had the screen closed okay. off. I didn't see you. Oh. Well, hi. Good evening, Nocturnal Frequency Radio. I don't know if Hello. it's Steve or if it's Alex. <laughs> I'm going to take a bet it's Steve. <laughs> Alex usually comes so in. Toby should himself. be joining us shortly. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I love it. I'm really looking forward to this. So we don't often have a lot of people come on with Bigfoot. It's happened probably a handful of times in our three years. Um, well, yeah, and I don't know why, because we have, you know, we do have a long waiting list, but we have, we're pretty much open, you know, to everything. Outer Whelm covers everything. But amazingly, we don't, we don't get asked by many to come on the ones we've had have been very good um but we're just like where are they all <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like yeah we've got one <laughs> this is great so um it's really tough i think with um things like i think bigfoot's probably the most popular of the cryptids or are they cryptids <laughs> they're the people question. they're people oh wow <laughs> see i love they're that fuzzy, they're tall fuzzy people ancient tall. people I love it. Okay. Something like it. that. That's kind of a tease, I guess, for the, for the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because we, we have a lot of people who have had experiences and such. We'll have to get into that. And hello. Cool. There's Tobe. There he is. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Wow. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I was just explaining to Brett that... You know, in our few years of doing this, we have only maybe had a handful of people who have come on to discuss the subject of not just big, but I think, you know, cryptids in general. And it's not like we've never been open to it, but it makes me kind of wonder the field of study, just how big it actually is or maybe isn't. So we're going to get started um, okay. with the, tra the, the trailer. Does that work out for you guys just to get everybody yeah. on the roll okay so we're gonna go that's the way to go we're gonna come up i'm gonna come in i'm going to mute everybody i think everybody should probably mute okay we're good to go 
I'm looking at this giant figure, huge, eight feet tall, non-human gait. I'm trying to classify what this thing is, but it's not real. And I know what it is, but what it is is not real. The arms of these things went well below their knees, unbelievably long arms. When I looked up, there was a young male looking at me. Something's going around my tent. It stops behind me and then contact. We tried. We really tried to get pictures, but these things seemed out foxes. Something, something is leaving footprints. As you start utilizing the data and you start seeing the data tell the story, the whole story unfolds right before your eyes. The way it pulled its little one, its young behind it with its arm. I mean, I can't even put it in words. It was so unreal. Knowing about them, it seemed too intelligent for me to like consider them as like something you could go out and hunt like an animal. That is, whoa. So these were brought here. I had one client talk about how muscular it was and how broad its shoulders were and how it's like just was in awe of this incredibly majestic creature. You will always have that with you. You will always remember that moment. When he was walking away, I called out to him, you are the most beautiful creature in the world. Please don't go. I was that person. I did not believe. I just thought it was a myth. Open up your minds because they're out there. Wow. I'm hooked. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pretty speechless. That guy's. Hold on. Where'd oh. that go? Click stop sharing. Turned, Something else I, comes up. I, stupid me put my mute on and I never take it off because I'm an idiot, even though I do this twice a week. That was amazing. I want yeah. more. Thank you. It was really I well done. More. Beautiful yeah. image. My gosh. The video is just like superb really really well done so i guess how are we going to lead off here i think the best way to do it would just be to say humble beginnings how did how did this come about has this always been an interest whoever wants to start you'll find we're very round table like so mm -hmm. let's okay. go cool so i'll start off and talk about the film and then maybe tobe can start talking about how he got into um the world of bigfoot and sasquatch Excellent. So the way that we got into it was um, we started out as, as narrative filmmakers and we'd done a couple of, you know, um, films earlier on. Um, and, you know, those were those were great and a lot of fun. And, and throughout that time period, uh, Jill, the producer and I, the writer and the producer and I had always talked about doing a, a Bigfoot documentary because we grew up in Oregon. We had an interest in it. And about 10 years ago, we were working with some folks um, on another film and they introduced us to a couple of, um, you know, a couple of the legends in the Bigfoot community, if you will, like Todd Neese and um, Peter Byrne and Ron Moorhead. And so we met them at a conference, got to know those, uh, those folks. And we thought, you know, someday we could really do this because we have, we have established good connections. And so long story short, when the pandemic hit, um, work slowed down and we thought you know what now is the time to do this to get out into the woods away from everybody and uh 
and do a Bigfoot documentary. And so we thought we'd have it done in about six months. And it took about two years because <laughs> one thing led to another and we followed breadcrumbs and we traveled the country and, um, and we ended up getting it done. But backtracking a little bit, very, very early on, in fact, I think the first day of shooting, we met a man named Daryl Adams who we were actually very interested in meeting. And as fate would have it, he was at this conference we were at. And Daryl and Tobe had a really, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it, a, an, an amazing thing going on down in Central Oregon. Um, and we wanted to be involved in their story. And so long story short, Daryl connected us with Tobe and we immediately knew we needed to bring Tobe on as a co-producer. And I'll let Tobe take it from there. Please. Hmm. Thanks, Brett. Um, <laughs> Brett, thanks. <laughs> so th this started about the mid 2000s. Um, my son and I found what was either a hoaxed track or stage track uh, of some kind in the middle of an icy uh, trailhead near the town of Thurston, Oregon. And it really didn't matter to us because I was fresh off a divorce and um, had some time with my son out in the woods and so i was looking for something to pick up steam with a four-year-old i think he was he actually found the the track it was about a 14 inch human looking track in the mud headed into the blackberry rambles in a spot that was more or less known for juvenile delinquents that you know want to smoke a little reefer and skip school so i thought well they're probably making tracks out here too so we took a little photograph and um ended up going to uh a church at that time where one of the producer directors of a movie called Sasquatch, which was loosely based on the Patterson Gimlin film up in around the Three Sisters Wilderness area here in Oregon. Um, he was kind of retired from the showbiz, but he was nice enough to look at the photograph. And uh, he said, you know, they're real. And if you want to meet somebody that uh, has actually seen them, I know this river guide. And so, Meeting this river guide uh, was really the first time I sat down with somebody and looked them mano a mano. And he brought a track that day and uh, sat it near the museum park bench. And we just traded uh, stories. I had a lot of questions for him. And he said, you know, um, I've seen more than one. You can do that, you know. And um, I'd tell you the rest of the stories, but they're far too weird and you'd never believe me. And that really sunk in. That took me immediately back to when I was sitting down with my dad watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind and just hearing, you know, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character get sucked into this world as, you know, potential abductee is what happens. Mm. But um, there was this kinship to that mystery of what if these aren't just stories. And I got that from this river guide. Um, and he was willing to let me come into his, his world. He was kind of a recluse. He probably still is. And uh, before I knew it, I was out in the woods with a stranger, you know, sitting in uh, the icy rain of the uh, Cascades above Lieberg, Oregon. And from then on, I was just hooked. I knew that I had the time to do it. I knew that my son um, was willing to entertain part of his dad's craziness to go out in the woods. <laughs> and uh, once we started to have experiences, I wanted those to stay powerful. I didn't want to just have tiny experiences either because I'm an adrenaline junkie and so without belaboring the history here of 15 years or better I can tell you that 
witnesses are classified in my mind into two groups. I think most Bigfooters would say that they're either flesh and blood or they're something else. Maybe it's like that in the ghost world, in the UFO world. Mm, mm. Probably not. But uh, in the Bigfoot world, those are the two camps and they don't really mm. get along too well. And so <laughs> the first five years, it was all I want to meet these guys like trading baseball cards. I want to meet the Meldrums. I want to meet the, you know, Ron Moorhead types. And oh, by the way, those two men are diametrically opposite. And um, I found myself going more towards the crazy side, towards the woo side, towards the paranormal side of Bigfoot. And the reason I did that is because I was getting results. And what I found is there's this classification of a witness that claims that they have these sightings multiple times. They quite literally have Bigfoot in their own backyard or in their property, or they know where to go, where there's a clan or a family unit. And oh, by the way, as my friend Rich says, this is not a rare phenomenon. These, these big feet are everywhere. And um, so I, I began to find that out by going to these private addresses and literally embedding myself into these strangers, these new family members become my family and waiting for the phenomena to present itself. And so around 2018, after, you know, looking into this since the mid 2000s, I find myself out um, in the Umpqua Wilderness in Cottage Grove, Oregon, at the mecca of not only Bigfoot extended experiencing with uh, Daryl and Cindy Adams, who own this, this farm, but also this cluster effect of other strangeness that um, it's hard not to call it to like a a window area where all the phenomena comes in and coalesces around the Bigfoot phenomena. And so Brett um, saw a small documentary that we did on YouTube called the alien Bigfoot connection. And um, that's when we got involved and I saw his work and um, he saw how earnest we were. And that's how we got started. I think that's fantastic. Um, my gosh, so many questions because there's a lot of theories with respects to like you made mention of the alien Bigfoot connection. There are some people that do believe because they disappear so fast that maybe they're coming in and out of portals. What do you like? What are your thoughts on that? You mentioned it. I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> yeah. Answer. Take, take that one away, Tom. <laughs> Well, we try to save this uh, for what's happening now because they're filming uh, part two. Um, so that's what that's about. Okay. But um, my book is called The Al Moon Lab. That's what the name of this property was. And, um, you know, previous to that time, strange things had started to happen in the woods that were unexplainable. I mean, most people that look at Bigfoot look at it through the lens of understood science, Newtonian science. And they do that for a lot of reason, mainly because of funding, which is something I didn't figure out till, you know, about five years ago. That's the most important thing to a scientist to keep the, the money coming in. Um, and fringe science just doesn't do that, not yet. And so, but most people that believe in that kind of science, accepted science, will talk about strange things like disappearing tracks. Um, that's a pretty common one. Mm -hmm. And I've been around extended experiencers properties um, and had them confront me on that. And we're talking about tracks, single lines of tracks coming in almost on a tightrope, 
which is how most people, I believe, that Sasquatch ambulate. They walk about a four or five foot gait in between each step, left and right, about a size 14 and a half to 15 inch barefooted track. And then they'll suddenly disappear in a snowdrift as though they've just been swept away by this, the blowing snow and mm -hmm. you know floated into the breeze. So that works out for a little bit of time. Um, but then when you talk to witnesses, say, no, I saw the thing disappear. It, it, it went away untraditional. It went away in a portal. It went away in a flash. It went away in all sorts of crazy methods. Mm. Um, so those are the kind of things that I'd heard about. And um, those are the kind of things that we're familiar with in Cottage Grove. So that's, um, you know, that's why this story has to be layered in between two chapters, because you can't just come to people and tell them that this stuff actually, you know, disappears in front of your eyes like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Especially when you have a lot of, you know, the orb sightings that come mm -hmm. in and around wherever you seem to find uh, these beings. So, um, we, I mean, they are all over the world. They all have different names, but mm -hmm. different species because we're all individuals, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're the human race, but we're all very different, come from different walks of life. Is it the same with these guys? It's the same. Right? Yeah, it, it, I think it's exactly the same. And, you know, we although we don't have photos and video of different species, I think that some of the stuff that's out there, and, and in fact, some of the stuff that we feature in our film um, have a little bit of variation. I mean, we certainly know that they're, they're different colors. Um, there's, you know, there's the skunk ape in Florida, which has been described as being a little bit different. Um, there's a famous photo of a skunk ape. If you just type in skunk ape on uh, in, in Google, you'll see it. And it, mm -hmm. it's kind of got more of an ape look to it. Although they have been described as similar as to the ones you'd see in the Pacific Northwest. Um, there's some in the Midwest that have kind of a, uh, a jaw that kind of comes out and they have lower canines that stick up a little bit um the the ones in alaska have been described as being a little bit different um so yeah i think that's entirely possible i mean i've i've heard and we talk about this a little bit in the um in the documentary how they they have you know every color from brown to red to black to gray to you know if you want to talk about the the yeti white um, people have even seen white ones here. Um, a couple of guys that we interviewed, Chad and Austin, they described theirs as being cinnamon colored. Mm. So yeah, they're they're all all different shapes and sizes, um, and they have different personalities too. And I think that's the important thing mm. is that you know, and that's that was one of the goals that we set out with you know the documentary was to describe these things as beings, as as maybe a type of people, and not monsters. And, you know, we've heard everything from trickster and a sense mm -hmm. of humor to um, very aggressive. Uh, the one thing that we don't have um, any accounts of are people being, you know, brutalized or beaten up or assaulted or um, That's true. You know, killed by them. Uh, mm -hmm. We do have many, many reports of them throwing rocks at people but strangely enough, those rocks never hit anybody. So, right, right. Know, so maybe they'd, they'd be great in the 
Major League Baseball or something. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> well, got, it's got a good arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, I, you know, and 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 that's what's really important to us is to really kind of flesh out that character and create that character. And and like Tobe said earlier, that's two films, that's two movies because these guys are complex. They're very oh. complex. I would think so, at least two. You oh could, yeah, right. You could really yeah. dig with these. Oh yeah. Um, I, I saw a video clip that was sent to me a while back, a couple of years ago, uh, from Canada. And the, it was a gentleman who was speaking, like a researcher, and he was working with one specific group of them. And they he taught them how to say his name, for example. His name was Mike. He goes, Mike, Mike. You know, it was just being very repetitive. And it sounded like, I mean, if you if you believe the clip, um, that you could tell like there's there's some kind of a, of a really deep undertone with it um but it basically he comes out and says mike and over time this series of videos is you know this guy communicating and teaching speech so do they can they speak do they have the capability to speak english i would think it's very possible if, if one of them wanted to interact with you and learn, but what is your thought on, obviously they can communicate with one another because they do it. Language. Yeah. There. Okay. So this, this kind of goes down a little bit of a rabbit hole and, and I know exactly what you're talking about. This Mike Patterson, he's, he's up in Ontario. Okay. And um, he's got all kinds of really incredible stories. I've even heard, I don't know if it was Mike, but I've heard that, that some folks have put out chalkboards and right. they've gotten written responses. Right. And, you know, I mean, all of this is subjective. Um, right. But what I can say is, you know, this is kind of a tease into the second film, is many, many people across the country and maybe across the world experience this phenomenon called mind speak. And mm -hmm. um, it's really kind of scary when it happens to some people, but they will hear a voice in, in their head that is not theirs. Well, it's telepathy, English. basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's right. Yeah, basically, that's what it is. Right. And so... Um, I don't know. We don't know how they're doing that. We don't know how they're using English or, you know, the native language. Um, some folks say that they communicate in images and images only. Other folks say that they actually hear um, a voice. There's a, there's a story out there about a man who had a gun in the forest and one of them asked him why he had a gun. Um, clear and plain as day in his head, in his mind. So, you know, that's the English part of things. Um, mm. Ron Moorhead goes into their own language, which is called samurai chatter. Right. And um, he's got, you know, the famous Ron Moorhead uh, Sierra sounds uh, that he recorded back in the 1970s. And, you know, that particular language that he's recorded, and it is a language as uh, qualified by um, Scott Nelson, a former naval crypto linguist. He's done all the research on it. Um, yeah, they've got they've got something going on that they're using to, you know, some sort of language that they're using to communicate, whether it's the same, you know, across the country, across the world, I don't know. Um, mm. The sounds are very similar. We heard it in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting. Uh, it was just brief. It was kind of like a quack, 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 back and forth. It almost sounds like two people arguing about something. Mm -hmm. um, and it does sound like samurais. It kind of has that like, old kung fu movie kind of <laughs> yeah just wait for the lips to move <laughs> it's like yeah, going at the same time I, I don't know. yeah it's like this it's, it's really kind of interesting <laughs> right. 
Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, they definitely have a an advanced form of communication. There's no question about it. Right. And let's get into. Um, obviously, they do things to try to uh, other ways of communicating. Tree tapping is a big one that I've you know people talk about. Um, I've got a family member who's got uh, you know 100 acres out near Algonquin Park, which is in you know the eastern part of Ontario actually, and they have them up there. And he woke up. We had a caretaker on the property. Woke up at like. I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, it was still dark and he can hear these random knockings that seem to be coming closer. And ironically, we just had someone on the show who was like, who was giving their opinion of this. And I'm like, okay, don't go out and do this apparently because they're going to look at it as a sign of aggression. And this caretaker is just like, you know, like 65 years old is going, I am not going anywhere. <laughs> I going to stay in this building. And you know, it's quite fascinating because you'll hear sometimes um, them tapping from other areas and they have found nests and everything up in, on this property. So what are your thoughts? Like, do they, do they have certain other ways of communicating that seem to be like, a, like I say, I'll use it, the tree knocking, um, stone throwing you mentioned, whoever wants to take it. You know, I'm not so sure they're hitting trees. Um, Given some of the things that happen out in the woods in Cottage Grove, uh, on one of the occasions, the property owner and I were in an area that Brett has been that we call the Al Moon Wilderness. And we were walking roughly about 75 yards apart over a point in the, it's a pretty open forest with some underbrush. Um, but we we're just outside of eye contact and there was a ridge between us. And as we walked down the slope, between us, almost exactly between us, was three sharp, loud wood knocks. And it sounded like a Louisville slugger hitting the side of a tree. That's exactly mm -hmm. what it sounded like. Very crisp, very loud, yeah. and between us. So there was nobody else there. I don't imagine that there was even a Bigfoot standing there with a tree limb hitting the side of a tree. I don't know what's going on. I think that we go to that excuse that, yeah, there's the sound of wood on wood, but there's mm. not always that. Some witnesses describe hearing jackhammers in the woods, hearing a car door slam, which is probably one of the most underreported, most common things hmm. that happened before a Bigfoot encounter is the sound of what sounds like a car door slamming only a few feet from you in the deep That's brush. Crazy. Do you hear the projecting um, sound? I don't know. Um, when you have a sighting directly after one of these strange sounds, it makes you wonder exactly what's happening because <clears throat> one of the things that we chronicled and Brett uh, probably heard us talk about nauseam is the sound of clicking or the sound of booms, the sound of knocks. Um, and they weren't exactly classified into an order of you know, hitting wood or hitting the metal shop on the property or hitting the ground. It was always very unique, but it sounded like something going through or passing through an object. And then you would hear the distortion or the vibration of that object happening. And this could very well be the same for these trees. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really a traditional answer that I'm looking into that what makes those sounds. Maybe they do just hit trees once in a while, but I think it's a little 
more crazy than that. I think something else is happening here um, that, you know, was probably uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. Amelia, can you get that? Yeah, got it. Uh, yeah. Hi, Adriana. Um, is that maybe a portal opening the sounds? I was just cracked? about yeah. to say that. Um, <laughs> just Perfect. about to say that. Yeah. We're, we're, see, we're communicating uh, through telepathic audience right now. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Um, yeah, so lightning superheats the air and ca causes thunder, right? So mm -hmm. that is a very reasonable theory that, you know, when these portals are opening, they've, they've, the portals have got to be using some sort of um, advanced energy, you know, like an instant advanced energy. So that could be where that's coming from. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we get the sonic, yeah, we get the sonic booms from, from jets and everything else. So we've, we've seen that being demonstrated in nature. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I was, mm -hmm. I was in the Al Moon wilderness one time um, without Tobe and um, I was there with Jill and a friend of ours. And I was doing some tree knocks, you know, I found a big, huge, heavy piece of oak or something. And I was doing these tree knocks and nothing was happening. And this was, it was taking it was probably over 15 minutes. Mm. And um, finally I was like, all right, is, you know, last but not least. And I went, I just took it all. Like I was swinging at a baseball and hit this tree real hard. And not less than about 10 seconds later, I got a response and it was just like Tobe was talking about it was loud it was crisp and it sounded like a louisville slugger maybe mm -hmm. a louisville slugger mixed with a rifle mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um it's the second i heard it it sent shivers down my spine mm -hmm. oh, so and that, that was that, it Nothing that's the way else. it sounds in the paranormal as well when something's coming in you'll hear 100%. that same pop yeah, that same boom sound. when <clears throat> yeah interesting right. um, it is it is can so, i ask you i want to ask you about that is it amelia Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you describe that a little bit more? Because it's not too often I get it here from ghost hunters or people that look into the supernatural. I'm not a that. ghost hunter, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm a medium and a remote viewer. But um, that has been my experience with spirits mm -hmm. and sadly malevolent entities as well, where mm -hmm. you'll hear that pop. And it almost sounds like, you know, when your TV's got static and it just cracks. Exactly. It can be really loud at times, you know, exactly. it, it all depends how they're coming in, how mm. large they are, how many mm. <laughs> are coming through. And um, sometimes I've even seen the almost like a current go through. That's about right. The That's middle of the room. Yeah. We've had we'll people see a flash of light and it, mm -hmm. it's confusing because People who are into ufology will claim that it's ET, and then the paranormal side, you know, they have issues too. We all do in this field, but then the paranormal side will say, "Well, no, it's not ET. It's you know, it's demonic, or it's it's a spirit coming through from the other side." But regardless, something is using that energy to manifest a portal and come through. No, we've had people say that when they hear these popping sounds, um, sometimes it'll even sound like a bit like it's tearing. But if you were to look, um, let's say if it was a dark room and you see all these little sparkles, you know, like little sparklers, mm -hmm. there's been reports of people saying when they're hearing that sound, they're seeing like little sparkler lights. Yeah, um, like shocks. Yeah. When you get a shock on your finger, it's the same exactly kind of thing like and that. you'll see that twinkle. And then other times they could see 
the atmosphere looks like it's it's distorting a little bit. So it would look almost like a heat wave coming in off a sidewalk on a really hot day. It just looks a little bit distorted. Mm -hmm. um, so we've those are all the different types of things that you know I've spent two decades doing it, and that's mm -hmm. pretty much the norm with what they say. So it's just like mm -hmm. like yeah, Adrian, a glittering in the air. It's glittering, just, yeah, yeah. That's probably the best way to explain it. Yeah, and these Last are people. I from, there aren't any lightning bugs mm -hmm. inside the house, no. so these are all people from different walks of life who describe the same sounds and seeing the same thing at the same time mm -hmm. as they're hearing these sounds. So, so w when a witness has a sighting, it's profound as though they've had a, a spiritual experience. Now, they haven't necessarily seen the supernatural happen when they've seen Bigfoot. Most of these things are roadside crossings that last less than five seconds in the dark. And yet mm -hmm. in this film, these people are transformed. It's not like seeing, you know, a silverback gorilla. It's not like seeing, you know, mm -hmm. something crazy like an endangered species of some kind. They see something that basically tells them that the the rest of the world is a lie. Mm -hmm. That's kind of mm -hmm. what happens to them. And um, I don't know, Brett, do you want to speak on that? Because I think people, you know, that are interested in this topic, they don't understand the narration behind the witness as far as what happens to them as far as a mental breakdown or a mental shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Tobe. Um, we really want to try and put the audience in these these witnesses' shoes as much as possible, and it, that's so difficult to do. Um, the best way that we knew how to do it was to have folks talk directly to the camera, and we feel like that 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 immediately establishes a bond with the audience. You know, and the audience can begin to trust them, and they can look into their eyes, and they can see that that these people have been, like Tope said, profoundly affected by what mm -hmm. they've seen. The only way I really know how to describe it is if, um, you know, and this may not be applicable to some folks out there, but, you know, I remember when I saw my first bear in the wild or my first whale or, mm -hmm. or something in nature that was extraordinary. And, um, <clears throat> and you, you know, those types of sightings and stuff, you kind of build yourself up to um, a fox, um, you know, the first time I saw a fox or a, a wolf or whatever, you, you have a buzz, you know, it's an adrenaline hit especially mm -hmm. when you're close to something like that and you remember it and you think about it over the course of a few days. Um, same thing with a UFO or whatever. This experience of seeing a Sasquatch is multiple, multiplied a hundred times, a thousand times uh, for, for people. And it's also like, if we wanted to go a little bit darker, there's folks out there that have witnessed something traumatic, you know, a serious accident or something. And it's something that, it imprints that, on you, basically. It imprints, mm -hmm. exactly. Yes. It's, it's really seared into yeah. your brain. And, and, you know, from for a lot of people from that day forth, they, they might do things differently in their life. They might drive slower, for instance, mm -hmm. um, or always stay on the sidewalk or whatever. Um, and so we're dealing with the same kind of a thing. And for a lot of folks, that turns into a post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Um, it turns into a trauma that keeps them you know, as lifelong avid hunters, as people who hunt with family members, you know, going back mm -hmm. generations, these folks won't go into the woods anymore. And these are, these are big, you know, big hunters. They're, they're strong men and women. They, they're comfortable in rural environments. These are folks that would sleep under the stars at night. You know, they're not really afraid of anything in the wild. 
and um, they carry protection with them. And when they see something that's so big and so strong and so muscular, you can't be armed enough, you know, for no. these folks. So that to me really says a lot about what these people have seen. Um, and when I hear a, an eyewitness account like that, I don't question it. I don't question it because, you know, coming from the, the narrative side of filmmaking, it's really hard to get a professional actor to pull off a performance like that. Actions speak louder than words, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Many, and you can see ways. it. You, yes. can see, you can see the, the, the hand shaking. You can see the lip quivering. You can see the, mm. the eyes watering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no question in my mind that these people are not mistaking a bear. They're not mistaking mm-hmm. a guy in a suit, you know. So, you're either going to be um, terrified or you're going to be in awe. We had Captain yeah. Paul Watson on the show from the Sea Shepherd um, Foundation. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, the very first time, like nothing really shook him. He goes, the very first time I had a whale come close to the boat and, and I looked into that whale's eye. He goes, it's something that you never, ever, ever forget, and it changes you. So I think basically what you're saying is like these events, it, they change you somehow. It's it never. Yeah. It's one of those things that will come through into your next life, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It just leaves that imprint in time and on your on your soul. That and you nailed it right on the head, Michelle. Eyes are the windows to the soul, yep. and we have an eyewitness, Mark Parker who made eye contact with one. And, wow. you know, we all know that when you look into the eyes of something with intelligence, you're, you're looking at that soul. And mm-hmm. Mark was scared to death after his sighting, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like literally frozen in fear, petrified. Mm-hmm. And many of the folks that, that have had these experiences where they haven't made that eye contact or they've, um, you know, they've done a hand gesture. You know, there's a, there's a famous case of a guy that was being mocked by one that Tobe can elaborate on. Um, it, it, you're never, you're never the same person. You're never going to be the same person. And mm-hmm. that can sometimes lead to uh, an obsession. And in some ways that obsession can become unhealthy to try and, you know, either see that again for therapy mm-hmm. or, um, or you turn it into something else that, that, you know, a different kind of, of, and how many people do you feel because you know all these people you've interviewed how many people do you think hold back because you look at the Patterson film that thing is they've never debunked it and you know they got ridicule for that how many people don't talk because they don't want to you know like I've seen an interview um you know with one gentleman who was affiliated with that tape he goes he goes oh I was just told repeatedly we were just fakers. This was just fake. All of this was fake. A lot of people don't want to come forward for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're trying to change that. Mm-hmm. And ahead, that's so. part of the reason. The other part too is um, it changes everything. Once you start holding that story to be something that you want to talk about, mm-hmm. if you bring that story home and start telling your father-in-law, telling your wife, telling your kids, telling your bosses what you saw and you don't care about the ridicule mm-hmm. now you're in a different category to where you're an outcast you've made a decision that you're going to change your life and have a whole mm-hmm. new set of values to where you live outside of this box and mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened to uh, Roy Neary in Close Encounters of the Third Kind he left his family he goes off on this wild mission to Devil's Tower 
and then hops inside the craft. Bigfooters are no different. Uh, a lot of guys that hang out at these conferences are all like me. They've they've ch chased after this you know giant dirt monkey for a long time, out there looking for more than proof, looking to have some kind of experience with them, and um, they've given up a lot in order to do it. And uh, it is tantamount to a an obsessive nature in order to understand how to nurture these experiences. But, you know, people ask me if I would have to do it over again. Well, I probably wouldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. um, I, I probably would have done it uh, tactically different and looked into uh, these extended experiencers so I could get closer sooner. But um, once you find out that, you know, the matrix is real and that you can take the red pill and you can actually experience <laughs> the impossible, then um, mm -hmm. the rest of the world is kind of boring. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Everything. it's like that in the paranormal as well. Uh, Everything's connected. Yeah. Everything's yeah. connected, right? Um, but you girls, I mean, you ladies probably feel the same way, uh, given what you do. I mean, don't you find that uh, you have a subsect of friends that know the lingo, they know your worldview, they know how to fit mm -hmm. into what you're doing, and then there was your old world before you got into this. I mean, so there's <laughs> probably a discussion to be had like that. Would you ladies do it over? Uh, um. Yes, because I worked in missing children and I helped bring a lot of children home. So for me, I wouldn't give that up for anything. No. I don't care mm -hmm. who I lost along the way. That mm -hmm. is much more important and more valuable to me than anything. I worked crime for years before I got into the paranormal side. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't give it up. And I haven't. I still do it when mm -hmm. I need to. And I still have cases. But I lost a lot of friends on, along the way. Um I didn't say anything about what I did till I was in my 40s. So mm -hmm. I lost a lot of friends, especially devout Catholics. They dropped <laughs> like flies. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you just, it is what it is. You, you prioritize, you right? Yeah. Well, you can't really, you can't do the work. And especially with, with missing kids, I tell this to every medium. We talked about this last week too, that, if you're going to get into that work, you have to give up your time. I was on call 24 seven. You don't go to it when you feel like it. You know, um, if they're going to a medium, you're usually their last hope. Mm -hmm. so, that's, that's true. Yeah. So you give up a lot of social time. Sorry, Michelle. No, oh, no, no, it's fine. You know, the paranormal is just, it's a breed of its own. You know, like I'm, I'm fortunate after two decades, I'm versed in pretty much, I made a point. I always say you're a student. You know, so I'm versed in many, many things, but it all comes down to, for me, just to helping people, whether they have something going on in their lives or in their home or not, something mm -hmm. is leading them to think that they mm -hmm. are. And that's where you have to step in and use, you know, logic and um, whatever it takes just to help them empower mm -hmm. them. Really, they'll figure it out. It's, it's a lot of it is mindset. You just need to know that they're not alone. And I think you can attribute that to any field. Because, you know, when I work, you know, when, with with um, people with respect to ufology, it's the same idea. I have to say every now and then <clears throat> the whole Bigfoot thing will rear its head. You know, we have people who have seen them. I have people who sent me pictures of, of what they think is Bigfoot or what they think are dogmen. Um, you know, you sort of get involved. And in, I like to say it's more the supernatural more than mm -hmm. anything it's, it's paranormal it's just one very small 
<clears throat> aspect, I think, of otherworldly. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm I'm more probably more of a of a history nerd more than anything else, and, and spend a lot of time, mm -hmm. you know, doing that and making associations. So I don't know. I I think you just have to have your hand in everything. You have to be knowledgeable in everything because everything connects really in mm -hmm. one form or another. Can I just say something? You are so humble, Michelle. <laughs> when you talk about assisting everyone, she's extremely humble because she gives up every minute of her free time for that. What you don't see, and I think a lot of people see that because I see it, not just because we're close and we work together, but I'm sure a lot of people see this. You have maintained your strength through all those years of working on the dark side. Oh, thank you. You haven't, but it's true. It, it's absolutely true. You have been able to be strong and not fall into that. See, Adrienne agrees with me, of course. <laughs> but um, definitely, yeah. because I think a lot of people who get into this field where you're helping others with demonic attachments and malevolent entities and so on do fall prey to that darkness. Yeah, or so that's, I, I that's think a so. Lot of, yeah, but maybe that's something that darkness sometimes are aliens. You know, <laughs> the, the Christians show. think one thing, the ufologists think another thing, another just show. like dealing yeah. with Bigfoot. Could be uh -huh. an alien, could be real live, like, you know, like you may have mentioned earlier, could be real live, living, breathing entity. Is that Not the Neanderthal theory like, or is that something else? I'm green when it comes to Bigfoot. What was the question? Sorry, is that <laughs> when you say that it's possible, Brett said it was possible that they could just be humans or people. Mm -hmm. um, does that come from, there's a theory out there that Neanderthals and the line from there. And is that what you were saying? You that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, um, that goes back to, to more of the aper side of thing. And like we talked about earlier, the Bigfoot community is kind of divided into two halves and the, um, the scientists that that are researching um, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, like Dr. Meldrum, for instance, you know, their their theory is that it's a relic hominid. You know, it's something that um, could p potentially date back to the gigantic Pithecus blackie, which was a mm. a large ape that was discovered in China. Um, and even though they only have, I think, just the jawbone, right, Tobe? They don't even have the full skeleton of it, but they somehow with just a piece of jawbone, we were able to figure out that this thing was like an old fashioned Bigfoot, if you will, you know, eight <laughs> to 10 feet tall, so on and so forth. But, you know, and, and anthropologists have talked about the missing link for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's starting to close a little bit with some recent discoveries in the last um, few years, but who knows, you know, they, I mean, Bigfoot could be, Mm -hmm. uh, a relic hominid of some sort. In in the Bible, for instance, there is all kinds of talk about giants. Mm -hmm. um, the the mm -hmm. whole giant thing uh, is a whole nother show. You know, oh, I mean, yes. there's, there was there's been giants discovered. Um, you know, in North America, Lovelock Cave is a is a great example of that. Probably the most famous example of that. So. <clears throat> Who knows? Who knows? I mean, there certainly is a possibility that they are just flesh and blood. They don't go into different dimensions and they have, you know, uh, supernatural abilities. You oh, know, talk I, about, I, um, Brett, yeah. talk about uh, Marcia's work. We don't really talk about her much, but that kind of yeah. goes into what you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, and you might be able to, to cover that just a little bit more, but I can touch on it. So Marcia Moore, who's featured in our, our film, um, she's an anthropological artist and she's done a lot of research on um, these uh, cultures that, you know, will have elongated head shapes. Mm-hmm. And in, there you go, there's one of the models she's made. Yeah. Some, some of Very the evidence nice. is pointing to the fact that some of these elongated head shapes um, were not created with boards and, you know, over time. Like, I don't know the, like binding. The term. Yeah. yeah, with like right. binding. binding. Yeah. You know, here in the Northwest, we had the Flathead Indians and the Flathead Indians would, you know, from the child time the baby was yeah. born, they would put the board on the, the head and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, we've all seen the National Geographic picture of the, the necks. Yes. Um, but there's a lot of evidence to show that some of these head shapes were um, potentially natural. And so, you know, and Ron Moorhead personally told me one time he was in a museum in Peru and they took him into the back room and the guy says, here, I want to show you something. And he like pulls out a drawer and there's a 10 foot tall skeleton back there. And Ron says, huh, what's this? And the guy says, well, we can't put that on display. It would scare the public. So, you know, I, I think the truth is kind says of under who? our noses. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. Says yeah. Who, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Big deal. There was giants, you know, right. I mean, it's, I don't understand why. How many have the Smithsonian destroyed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many bones? Well, that's another story about how I know. somebody witnessed them dumping <laughs> yeah, need them to come off back. a ship <laughs> in the ocean. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's all over the world. I mean, there, there there's evidence of them found mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your thought being um, based on the fact that you're, let's just say that Bigfoot is a living, breathing um, being, which I, I believe there's many parts of the world that, you know, let's just take North America. You know how dense some of our forests are in some areas, how many cave systems that we have, they could get lost and never be found so easily. But you have people hunting these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, hunt to kill. They don't care, dead or alive. They're they're taking them in. Some people have claimed to have shot some. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in California, it's actually illegal to kill a Bigfoot, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's actual murder is how how they would look at it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think in the Skamania County uh, up here in Washington, you're not allowed to harass them. And I think oh. there's a, a no hunting. Because you'd want to harass something like <laughs> right, no harassing, <laughs> Punch no harassing the hornet's nest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's oh. how they worded it. Um, wow. You know, I've seen a couple of these signs around in interesting spots up here underneath um, Mount Rainier, and um, they say as much. You know, you may wander into Sasquatch habitat. They seem uh, very official. I've seen park rangers walk right past these signs as though they've approved them. Um, I have one of them save that I, let's just say it fell into the trunk of my car accidentally. Um, so, you know, you don't know where to classify this stuff, uh, as far as the government knowing about it in the documentary, uh, Brett secured a conversation with somebody that, uh, was an insider in the military. He's all shadowed out. Uh, it's very difficult to get people to go on the record, um, about that stuff, mm, but, uh, in general, um, you know, if you can if you can find somebody who's retired uh, or feels safe with you, uh, they may just give you a map. Uh, one time I was given a map by a witness by the name of Don in the town of Coos Bay, Oregon. He was working for the uh, Bureau of Land Management as a tree painter. He would 
blaze the side of trees with an orange stamp so the loggers wouldn't take it down. And around six in the morning up a place called Paradise Creek Road near Elkton, Oregon, um, he wandered into a Sasquatch on an old skid road, standing up, bending down, standing up, bending down about 50 yards away from him. And he, he figures it was foraging. He said it looked like a 10 foot tall and a uh, 10 foot tall man in a fur coat. Hmm. Um, he went back and he made the report in the little town of Anita, Oregon. And of course, he was mocked. And a couple of days later, the secretary met him in the parking lot and gave him uh, a tube. And inside the tube was an official map. And it had plotted since like the 1940s, uh, the whole coastline of Oregon, all the way from Gold Beach to Astoria, different sightings, uh, five different sighting types. You could see one, you could hear one, you could find tracks. And his was even plotted on the map as though they kind of took it seriously privately. So what's the point is, well, privately, somebody's keeping tabs on this. Mm-hmm. And maybe they show up at these conferences and have a little notepad and are watching presenters. But generally, they're keeping to themselves. They don't really have any questions for us. Um, I could see why. Uh, we don't really have a whole lot to offer them um, mm. in general when it comes to evidence. We have a mm-hmm. few tracks. We have a few handprints. We have, a, we have some hair. But unless you can get close to the phenomena and actually get to know the culture of Bigfoot, because if they have language, we can assume they have a culture of some kind. And if they have a culture, well, they have rights. They have possibly human rights. And, you know, that's got to get into the whole thing of, you know, undocumented people living out in our wild. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, like I said, there's just too many places that they could be hiding. Um, I had put this up also. Amelia, can you get that? We have we have like yeah. listeners who are on like thousands of different servers. So yeah, people, there's they, a, they that's why you see it, see it sliding yeah. up. Um, just in case says it is illegal, <clears throat> pardon me, to hurt or even disturb Bigfoots all over the USA. Yeah. It's a federal law to protect hitherto unidentified species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tamara says, I don't think you can kill you them can't in Canada. Kill them you can't either. you can't even carry a gun here. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so no, that won't be a thing. Uh, no. but somebody else who wants, I, I'm just gonna go in the way back machine a bit just to hit on a few comments before we get too far further ahead. Uh Tamara also, Amelia. Yeah, thank you. I've heard them in northern Ontario, Canada hitting trees and fighting at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's a bit unnerving. I used to work security. I'm out in the middle of nowhere without people around fighting. What the, what the hell you be watching in the middle of nowhere? That. You've been watching us for two years. Like, there's We're nothing just hearing out about that right now. What the I hell? know. Why have got you out there? It's craziness. <laughs> um, wow. um, also, also, Wayne had asked a question going back to the fur. Wayne says, with respect to the coloring has anyone you've interviewed made mention of these beings having a winter and summer coat like white in the winter and different shades of brown in the summer months Hmm. that's a great question um the short answer to that is no not really um i've heard some some whispers of um longer and shorter hair Hmm. you know which Mm -hmm. makes sense but um i have not heard of of different coats um i oh i have heard of people talking about how they go gray 
um, mm. some of the elders go great. Like the rest and, of us, yep. <laughs> yeah, like the re- exactly. Like they, you can't just, you know, they can't wander yeah. into like a, you know, a, a pharmacy and grab some uh, L'Oreal some hair coloring. <laughs> no. yes, L'Oreal. Yeah. Plus, they need like fifteen boxes of it too. So. Oh, maybe <laughs> maybe uh, a couple kegs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so that's a possibility. Um, but again. Yeah, I, I can't say unless Tobes heard of. Heard well, stories. yeah, I've I've heard of literal coats. Uh, one of the lesser cool things talked about from witnesses, you don't hear it much these days. I don't think that's because it's not happening. I think it's still happening. But Bigfoots in coats, Bigfoots in hats, Bigfoots carrying a backpack. I'm gonna start uh, pushing. Oh, come on, really? Bigfoots. That's just... Bigfoots dragging Fantastic. a sleeping bag. <laughs> Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, part of the gifting process, yeah, Bigfoot's in a fedora. I've heard that one. Oh, that um, is just too cool. No, I want I mean, in on that. Even a dogman, dogman smoking uh, cigars in uh, trench coats in Skinwalker Ranch. So, right. I mean, it gets wild real quick if you allow it. But here's the right, deal. Right. If we're talking about a group of people mm-hmm. and they're able to wander into the dump, like we talk about in the movie, and mm-hmm. they find a garbage bag full of old clothes that were supposed to go to Goodwill, they may take those clothes. Um, part of what happened to us is something that we call gifts of significance, where if you talk about something, that object will appear uh, in a random place specifically for you based upon what you just spoke about. Uh, we chronicled that for over a year and a half. Um, hmm. But Bigfooters will talk about that you know, outside of the woo. They'll talk about uh, getting clothing of some kind, um, either a, a small shoe, usually with a muddy patina, as though it's been found in the river or something like that. But then you get the occasional person that said, no, the Bigfoot had on um, you know, a red plaid shirt. It was ripped out like the Hulk, and only part of it was fitting the arm, um, which would hmm. make sense if you're talking about something watching humanity, sitting maybe it from would. a distance at a campground. Emulating, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah that's interesting that is a first for me oh. i'm gonna start crocheting beanies i like okay. that beanies for bigfoot there you go <laughs> yeah uh, michael yeah. kennedy says it's obvious that it's all connected the ufo phenomena crypto terrestrials <coughs> excuse me sorry sheep sisters shifters i think he's trying to say yeah it's okay yeah, autocorrect okay. is a bitch sasquatch bigfoot satchel the yeti shapeshifters he corrected that there we go and he also makes mention to find a john stasco jr that's up in one of his others up another comment apparently who is very versed in this sort of thing so there you go please here we go please tell the guests about john stasco Stasco jr Jr. there you have it have them reach out to him okay i'm working my special powers okay Okay. (laughs) all right john Stasco Jr. There we go. Leave it up and write it down. I'm learning a lot. That is too cool. Clothing. I can't get over that. And Tamara says, when I asked what the heck were you doing at this, I was guarding a closed resort. Like the shiny? Yeah, kind of like that. The standing hotel, Tamara? (laughs) Like, yeah, like the shining hotel, one of those. Oh my gosh. Was it winter? (laughs) Insane. Bigfoot. Oh my god. I wonder gosh. if they have names. If they, they do. Oh, have names. Yeah, you they hear do. that all the time. Yeah. Wow. Yep. They have amazing. names that, that humans will give them or they have names that they will send to you via 
uh, telepathy. Like that oh. TV show with the Sasquatch. Remember the comet, that comedy? I can't remember the name. Oh, Harry and the Hendersons? Thank no. you. Yeah, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh! Mm -hmm. I thought you were trying to make reference to another research show that was on. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was it was definitely comedic. Um, okay, that totally got me off track. I never watched that. Sorry, my brothers did. They were heavily into. Well, we call them Sasquatch here, but they were heavily into Bigfoot. Well, you know, if you think about getting back to the code thing, which is what I wanted to to initially say, if you look at a yeti. You know, in the Himalayans, they're white, but they're in a snow environment, right? Or northern parts of Russia, things like that. So could it just be more of a chameleon thing, like a blending thing with their coats? I mean, yeah, you think if they were in the forest, you'd think they'd be green. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, being dark, camouflaging. I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, Mel Skahan in our documentary talks about how he found a nest and he found hairs in that nest and they were... I think he said three inches long, although in the documentary says they were about three inches long. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that translates to centimeters, you guys. Sorry. Um, but uh, the. We don't the, either, so don't feel bad. <laughs> the <laughs> the mm, hairs were um, rainbow colored, he said, hmm. which is interesting. So there's this idea that, like, for instance, polar bears um, have hollow um, hair. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's just kind of reflects light, reflects light. So, you know, Bigfoot might have some sort of a, a camouflaging kind of hair fur, something like that, that like a fiber optic. Know, yeah, That's like fiber optic that, that bends mm -hmm. light and something that they're able to manipulate. And, and many animals do that in the wild. Mm -hmm. We know that. I mean, there's animals that glow in the dark. Mm -hmm. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that if it is just a flesh and blood animal that it has mm -hmm. these some of these advanced features. Mm. And most uh, witnesses don't describe fur. They describe seeing hair. Um, they describe it as a hairy thing, a hairy man, a long, hairy beard. It's, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's not an undercoat kind of situation. They can see the skin underneath it. They can see where it's uh, you know, shaved down from where, moving their arms and in their knees and things like that. Or in so the chest area. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so going into, to this film, you obviously went, you go in with a certain mindset because it's stereotypical, right? It's just like, this is the stuff you hear, you we all see some of the documentaries or other TV shows, which I always tend to watch documentaries before I get into too much of the TV shows, because I, I always say documentaries are for education. TV shows are more for entertainment on an average, you know, don't shoot the messenger pretty much is. So um, with that being said, were you surprised by any of the stuff that you found? Like, what did you go in? What was your expectation? Like, what was your belief system going in basically? And how did you come out? Hmm. That's a good question. I think for us, you know, and I speak on behalf of Jill and, and Mike Ferry, who is the cinematographer on the project. I think I think we went in prepared for some pretty strange things. Um, I don't know that that we were shocked by anything. Um, mm. You know, talking to the Army intelligence analyst and finding out some of the things that, that's going on internally within the government was upsetting. It was shocking. Um, 
the paranormal um, scope, I think, was unexpected. Um, mm. You know, the things that they're able to do and, or reportedly able to do um, was very interesting. So this film originally was just going to be one film. And what happened was we started accumulating so much data as far as the paranormal is concerned. It occurred to us after our first edit, which was close to five hours, that we should really make this thing two chapters. And also, you know, it, it was kind of for the community as well, you know, so the Apers could have their film and the Woo could have their film. But, mm. um, you know, that was surprising. So, that, yeah, I mean, I think there was a few things. I think the other thing, too, that's kind of surprising was I didn't initially think that they were as... Um, common, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word, as mm. they are. And I went into this thing thinking that they were really pretty rare, like maybe a few per region, maybe mm -hmm. a, a pod or a clan or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that doesn't seem to be the case. They're far widespread and they're not all that rare. Wow. And how about you, Toby? You know, factoring in the pandemic was something I didn't plan on. <laughs> um, that, that, was, uh, that was an unexpected thing for the world, mm -hmm. but to have um, the opportunity to, to do something amazing like this with amazing people, Brett and Jill are the real deal guys and Mike as well. And um, to be allowed a window of time in order to do something beautiful like this. I mean, even with tragedy comes beauty and there is probably no better example than having time off work like the rest of the world and wandering out in the woods and creating something like this. And it's not on, you know, lost on me to say thank you to Brett and Jill for that opportunity. But, um, you know, I, I'm just kind of thinking about it now. What an amazing experience to, to spend two years building this narrative out. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I want everybody to go out and see this movie and be blown away like I have been because, just from the trailer, you get an idea of the cinematic scope. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Watch That's the really film well and, um, you know, become a, don't even become a believer. Like, we interview a guy in here who's just, I wish he could have got more camera time, but you got to sit around a campfire with a guy named Henry Franzoni. And Henry was the one that taught me that if you want to see Sasquatch, all you got to do is go to the crazy place names. He wrote a whole book about it. Mm. Um, and all you do is go on a map. And just find crazy place names near creeks, most likely, or near prairies on, on hillsides. Places named after like Spirit Lake or, you know, uh, Scary Mountain or Baboon Creek or uh, Skookum Meadow. Things like that. That's, that's interesting. That's where you go camping. And that's where you're going, you know, Amelia and Michelle are going to go together and have an experience out in the woods. No, I'll go summer. camp anywhere for stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm fearless. Oh yeah. I'm I always say I'm either fearless or I'm just a meathead because I'll just mm. do it. I'm so. fearless, but I just don't like I don't like camping. Yes. I'm well, you, can, no, you guys can no, go no. glamping then or you can just go for the evening do a night set. There's like that's what I suggest yeah. with a lot I'm, of people. I'm really prissy. I like the hotels. I'm bad. Oh, no, no, no. I, yeah. I, Michelle, I, Michelle. I love research. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'll, Michelle, I'll get do out it. there. I've been to yeah. different parts of the world. I don't even care. There's got to be like a Skookum Creek or, 
Yeah. Know, um, <laughs> you know, scream oh, for no. your life, Meadow, something like but that. Adriana, that's where Adriana you're go. go with Michelle. She just said, I volunteer. <laughs> yeah, because she was in the crazy forest with you. That's why. Oh, the Hoyabatu yeah. forest. Oh, I oh, can't freaking tell you there's Bigfoot up mm. there. Yeah. Crazy Romanian Bigfoot. <laughs> so yeah. um, this was, um, Amelia, can you get this? Do you want me to get this? Absolutely. Nope, I've got it. I was okay. just taking notes. <laughs> this is Michael about John Stasco again. Yep. Michael Kennedy, John Stasco Jr. has documented instance where 20 people and four cops saw a Bigfoot on a tall power tower. For over two hours. That's in Jesus. a report. He has many more with multiple people documented. Wow, this man, like, is he in the perfect, like, perfect place wow. at the perfect time? You're either really lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, seriously, seriously, if you get someone who's seen one or two, mm. it's a big deal. This is crazy. Mm. Yeah. Huh. He has hair that was sent to a specialist in some college that said it was unknown. Yeah, I bet it disappeared after that, too. <laughs> uh, that's having some faith amelia way to go <laughs> no but that's the government right we don't really know if anyone's well, ever captured a so, bigfoot or if anyone's ever found one that is deceased we don't know we, we, they, don't we know. would never find which out. leads me to the next question does do government know about them they must if they're protecting them i mean you can't kill them you can't hunt them or hurt them so why would the well do you think they're interested in them yeah, I mean, Rich Drumeau, who had a, a sighting as an on-duty police officer in um, northwestern Washington State, talks about that. And, you know, Rich has also has some military experience. Um, but he talks about how, you know, if there was an apex predator, a humanoid apex predator wandering around in the wild, the U.S. government would want to know about it. Mm, and I, I completely true. believe that to be true. Yeah, you know, and then, and then the next question is, is are they – working with them to try and weaponize them are, are mm. could they be a super soldier i mean you could start going down a pretty deep dark rabbit hole yeah from there but you could um, almost see that couldn't you oh, yeah and they're very it, intelligent it, yeah i mean the, the possibilities are endless there's there's reports many many reports up here in the northwest about um bodies being removed from the destruction of mount st helen's eruption in 1980. Mm -hmm. uh, many eyewitnesses to that account that um, the first responders were the U.S. military. Some of the first responders were U.S. military, and they went out and they got out the Sasquatch bodies before anybody else saw them. And wow, really? Apparently, they were sloppy, and you know there were some folks that saw these helicopters going over their house, and they looked up and they could see the bodies in the nets. Wow. Um, and that story gets really interesting and really deep, and, and folks can search for those stories on um youtube if you type in mount st helen sasquatch or bigfoot that is crazy never That's heard crazy. that one. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to do a quick station id actually we're going to do it a little bit early are we be yeah be yes we are because i want to just get into um the next leg of questions so it might be a bit lengthy absolutely you are listening to the outer realm with michelle de roche and myself amelia pisano Coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans on 105.3 FM radio. Tonight, we've got Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger in the house with us talking all things Bigfoot. Stream or listen to our archives on the platform that you normally use. You can find us everywhere. Shout out and thank you. I'm not, I don't have my coffee cup ready. To the amazing people at Folders Coffee for fully sponsoring our show from day one. We love you and we thank you so much. Also, a huge thank you for 
lending his voice and his talent, award-winning composer, Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, Justin Snicker, for our intro and outro. You can find his music on Amazon and Bandcamp and find him on Facebook and Instagram. Check him out. You can find and listen to his music there as well. He's got his little demos on there and his little clips of the incredible music that he creates. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Holders, so, yes, Michael. <laughs> I guess I want to get into, you know, you have all eyewitness accounts, people, all walks of life. I know in the field of, let's say, ufology, we can go back into, well, we can go back thousands of years. And we find that the ancients were, were very willing to coexist with what they call their friends from the stars. They would emulate them. They would put petroglyphs everywhere. This was a thing. We didn't fear them somewhere along the line. We get into modern times, probably in the last hundred years, you know, and all of a sudden they're the enemy. How is it with, you know, Bigfoot? You have the North American Indians who revered them right? For the most part, they revered them. There was a healthy respect for them. They understood them. Um, they don't seem to be as fearful. When I look at interviews with the indigenous people, like all over the world, they don't seem to have a fear of them the way most people do. Whoever wants it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't, yeah, and I don't think there's a fear at all in, in many tribes across North America. I think it's a cultural respect. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that, you know, the tribes that we feature in, from the Northwest, from, you know, British Columbia on down to Oregon, mm -hmm. um, they thought of them as another tribe in the forest. And, you know, there's some stories and anecdotes of them trading salmon and, and, and doing things. There's also um, stories of the Bigfoot playing pranks on them. And um, I think it was a, there was an old article, I think it was in the Seattle Times or something in the 1920s that talked about how they were um, kind of viciously uh, humorous, if you will, but they would play these tricks, they would kidnap little kids from the village, and then <laughs> they'd have to go rescue yeah. them from a mountaintop or something. Um, which that 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 goes down a whole nother realm with you know david pilates and his research on missing 411 yeah i was gonna say who, who david yeah. pilates is is was also a um mm. a bigfoot researcher as well in his early days so yeah you know i think that that you know many of the tribes as we feature in our in our film have you know totems where mm -hmm. you know a totems the most important part of the totem is the bottom of the totem and they'll um or story poles as some some cultures call it and a lot of those totems will have a Sasquatch at the bottom. Um, there are many tribes that um, that have them in their dances and in their ceremonies. Um, there's a tribe, I believe, in uh, on Vancouver Island that thinks that they may have mixed DNA with a Sasquatch. Now so, that would be um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there 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 are some rumors. I was told a story about a. Um, and I think it was Todd Neese that told me a story about how there was a, a hybrid Sasquatch man up in like Alberta or something who um, Europe too, like the, Russian areas. Yeah. As well. Yes. Yeah. You know, there was, there was a woman in Russia. It's more of a That's famous one. story. I think there might even be a photo of her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some interesting, interesting stuff out there. Um, now we're kind of going off a ledge here, but yeah, to answer your question, no, yeah, there's okay. definitely, 
definitely yeah. respect. Um, you know, we and we've spent time with a um, with a tribe in the um, Midwest that has had them in their culture um, and has worked with them for you know hundreds of years. They told mm -hmm. us a story that was almost unbelievable about how um, um, there was a you know during the time of World War II, most of the men went off to the war and the women were left to fend for themselves in the Midwest you know the united states just like canada there's brutal winters and mm -hmm. these women would um would come out of their cabins and find um chopped or broken pieces of firewood you know set wow. next to their cabin yeah. so you know there's there wow. are stories of this kind of this kindness this generosity this humanity that that mm -hmm. we've come across you know regardless of whether it's native cultures or or just ordinary humans mm -hmm. right um yeah i've read all kinds of stories where people on their properties will just leave fruit out for you know bigfoot to come in to collect and the bigfoot will come back with pine cones and you know they 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 reciprocate so do you guys think that do we fear them do people have to fear them do you think i'm, so I'm of the mind the same as you brett absolutely Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. I th it's a healthy respect for uh, individuals the same way that you would have if you walk down an alleyway. You don't know who you're going to meet that day. And because I think there's something else going on here with how they enter into our world, mm. those doors allow other things to come through. And um, I don't know how to close one of those doors once they're open. I don't you know, maybe I have permission to do it. Maybe I have the power to do it. Um, I'm just kind of crazy enough to see who want to see who comes through those doors. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's always Bigfoot. So um, you may be surprised what you're going to get. As Forrest Gump says, you know, it's a box of chocolates when you're dealing with Bigfoot. But, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, the Native <laughs> exactly. Americans revere this phenomena so greatly. One of the stories I tell is about a oral traditionist, oral traditionalist from the Kalapuya tribe a gal by the name of Esther Stutzman lives it down here in Yonkala, Oregon. And um, I wanted to put a group of Bigfooters together at a community college back in 2010, and she was one of them. But uh, they take that subject so seriously. They're also rumored to be some of the last headbinders and longheads uh, up through the Pacific Northwest as well. Um, I actually had to wait six months to ask her because it was the wrong season to talk about Bigfoot. So, you know, here I am putting on an event. It's going to be in such and such date. But because of the weighty subject I bring on hand, she took a good six months uh, to think about it and then to come to, I believe it was the spring season in order for me to bring it up. So there's a whole different protocol when you're getting to know First Nations people. Mm -hmm. Just in general, there's a different yes. protocol. But then when you yes. get into what's going on with Sasquatch. Um, you know, there's a million different, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I understand that they have a respect for Bigfoot, but there's also a million different excuses about what Bigfoot really is. Maybe they're a hairy brother, but maybe they're, um, you know, according to some, the Tonaqua is a cannibal woman that throws children in her basket. So, I mean, it's that's not like something you want to hang thing. out with. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so where does that come from? Because that's a cross-pollination issue, just like, you know, uh, when you started getting, getting into Sasquatch, you also have to look at the other traditions of 
what are trolls, these big giants that live under bridges and things like that. So mm -hmm. if you dig back far enough, you're going to look up to the Sistine Chapel and you're going to start seeing images of Sasquatch <laughs> as well. Yeah, it, it's true. How many how many bits of folklore have, have been have crisscrossed um, mm -hmm. through different cultures? But realistically, when you think about it, like I think of Krampus, I think he could easily be a big uh -huh. a big foot, you know. Um, same with you know, big trolls. I mean, people truly believe that all of these beings exist. It's just through time, you know, the fish that was this big that ended up all oh, is this big because it's oral <laughs> history, right? It changes, even though. It, it's pretty general and it should stay the same. I'm sure it gets added to <laughs> as it makes its way down um, through generations. Um, so basically, where do you guys, I mean, where do you go from here with this? Because you can't just do something like this and research it to the point. Like it's one of those things that you almost have to keep going with. Because until, like, it's not like we just have. I mean, some people do claim, you know, there's a guy in the U.S. who claims he does have a Bigfoot. I tend mm. to, I tend to laugh. I, I mean, I laugh. I shouldn't, but maybe I do because it just seems a little bit far-fetched to me that mm. you would have a Bigfoot in your freezer. But I was just going to say that. Is that the one in his freezer? He's on YouTube. No, this is a guy that cards out, like, uh, right. He makes studio feet and he brings out the feet and sets them on the barn table right, and right. as but, the head that he brings out. Yeah. 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 And he brings these, these, you know, pieces and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then there have been other people who have claimed, no, they did shoot one and they buried it under leaves. And then they went back and took video, like probably, you know, a year later and you could see bits of, of fur. But my question is, is like, why do they not ever just hand them in? Like the world wants to know. I mean, if you actually have one, or you actually yeah. shot one. Well, mind you, I guess a federal law says yeah. you shouldn't. You could get in yourself as pretty much murder. So that might answer my yeah. own question. But um, you know, where do you go from there? Because if you don't have it, if you don't yeah. have a body, how can you come up with something remotely close to being definitive if there's such a thing? I mean, is it about if it's about proof, it's it's a conversation to have, but if it's about experience, it's a different conversation because now you're dealing in the world of moving into the identity, the relationship mm -hmm. of it all without the proof. And the proof mm -hmm. is, um, I get it. Like I go out with cameras, I go out with digital recorders, yeah. but you kind of have to get in the, the frame of mind and maybe Brett can speak on this too as a filmmaker is you have to be in the frame of mind that you're creating an album kind of a strange family album of a right. new friend and your right. relationship growing. If you look at your phone as being able mm -hmm. to seduce and capture evidence, mm -hmm. like I say, they, they know that's coming either through telepathy or whatever they're doing. Their intuition is so great mm -hmm. that they predict your motives. And that's something you hear all the time in the supernatural world is that they know your intent. Whatever is happening here knows your intent. And um, I'll hand it off to Brett. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a really interesting point, and and you can kind of get into the you know the conversation about time and the constraints of time, and you, you, how do they know you're coming? Um, you know, this kind of gets into that realm of 
remote viewing and telepathy. It's like, is you know, the second you pull up to the trailhead and you get out of your car, do they just hone in on you and start monitoring you and just kind of know what you're doing? How do, how do they understand what a camera does? Um, mm. You know, if they're if they're living out in the woods. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I kind of look at it like my own personal view is it's almost like, it's like Mars. Okay. Mm. So we've seen Mars. We've taken pictures yeah. of Mars. We've sent spacecrafts to Mars. We don't have a single Mars rock in our possession that we've brought back from Mars. No one's mm -hmm. touched Mars. No one's landed on Mars. We know Mars is there, you know, but for all intents and purposes, humans are Mars experiencers or mm -hmm. Venus, your experiencers or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and it, the further out in the universe we get, the more distance things are and the less we know about them. Um, and Bigfoot, I think to me anyways, is, is kind of similar to that because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't need to be convinced. And I, and, and sometimes it's me doing the laughing at skeptics because if you really start looking at the, I mean, the loads and loads of evidence, you know, first and foremost, the eyewitness accounts from credible folks out there is, mm -hmm. is enough to convict if this was a, a trial, in my opinion. Um, but there are experiencers out there that know the truth and, mm -hmm. and, you know, they may number in the hundreds of thousands. Um, yeah. you know, and I get it. I get why scientists wants a body. Um, I get why, you know, people, if they do have a body, they hold back. Um, you know, if, if you're the person that has that body, if you, if you kill one, you manage to bring one home in the back of your pickup truck, all hell is going to break loose. Oh, yes. you, know, you are going to be known for the rest of your life as the man or the woman that discovered Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And there are ramifications to that. It's like, it's like the guy that goes and buys a Powerball ticket or a lottery ticket every, you know, every Saturday for 20 mm -hmm. years and he finally wins. And then he starts, you know, getting phone calls from third cousins, you know, wanting a loan, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then he, then he thinks to himself, yeah. why did they even buy this thing? I want my, my life back, mm -hmm. you know? So the ramifications of, of, you know, if, if, if a Bigfoot were to be discovered in a small mountain town in Oregon or Washington or British Columbia or what have you, people from all over the world would descend upon that town mm -hmm. to see where the Bigfoot came from or, meet the man that shot it or whatever. So the publicity would just be out of sight. I mean, this, there's no question that, that when they're finally discovered, if you will, to modern science, that it will be one of the biggest discoveries in human history. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the side of things. I don't think a lot of people are talking about. They're just saying, Oh, show me a picture, bring me a body, you know, and moving on to the next mm -hmm. thing, you know, it will be sensational. It will be sensational and many people won't care. Many mm -hmm. people won't care and, and eventually will grow accustomed to it. it it's kind of like what's happening with UFOs to a certain mm -hmm. extent, to a certain extent. So mm -hmm. it's deep. Yeah. It's, it's deep. Yeah. Well, that's what Michael says. Um, one example, Amelia. Oh. Yep. Thank you. It's yeah. like ET bodies. They are very similarly, almost impossible to collect. I I appreciate your comment. I don't think I agree with that because I think there's a lot of ET bodies and there's a lot of beings mm, underground and in in yeah i don't necessarily agree with that yeah they just try to hide it yeah <laughs> that's, that's all yeah absolutely um, um tamara says scott scott carpenter already did dna study on bigfoot and wrote a book on it 
Hmm. Okay, I, can, yeah. I can speak on that. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Scott Carpenter, I believe, is a part of the Melba Ketchum study, which was really spearheaded by Rich Germeau, who's in the documentary, this ex-cop that we've been talking about. <laughs> and uh, the Melba Ketchum study says a lot of data. A lot of the data was shot down by uh, traditional scientists. But the main thing that happens with Bigfooters and DNA is that it always comes back contaminated by humans mm. and uh, in particular contaminated on the male side. So as far as the Ketchum study, the bullet points are is that they can recognize the female DNA, but they cannot recognize the male side of the DNA. That's interesting. So why, why is that? And uh, that's, I think that's what science needs to prepare to answer. I, mm. You may have more UFO questions w when you get to these big, you know, Bigfoot answers. I think you might. Yeah, I, I believe that. I think, I think a lot of people um, lean that way as well, just because you do see these orbs of light, you know, there are stories of them just disappearing footsteps, stop, gone, you know, in the middle of like nowhere, like where they go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I find that, absolutely fascinating but there's also that that aspect where i think people and when, when you're getting into ufology paranormal i always say otherworldly i do prefer that that term i think we forget sometimes that these are beings they bleed as well they're i mean we're dimensional beings technically speaking with different levels or you know dimensions within our one space so we fall into that as well and if someone comes along and and you know shoots you you know it's going to end your life so even if they are dimensional being it doesn't make them any less real i guess it takes us back to the question that we had at the beginning of the show can they jump time <laughs> I don't know, but I think when they, let's say <laughs> right? they can, whenever they, whenever they do what they do, let's say that they can yeah. do all these spectacular things that we're guessing mm -hmm. we can do. Um, yeah. I think they have to abide a bit, if not mostly by the physical laws of where they are at that time. However, they can, they can play with it. Yeah. It seems as though they can play with things. We had evidence of that at the Al Moon lab where we'd find impressions in the gravel and it was almost as though they're playing with a vibrational frequency in order to sink the rocks down into the hard pan. Yep. So um, there's ancillary evidence of that from, from our story. But, um, you know, people say they have shot them and that uh, they have wounded them or killed them. I've heard incredible encounters in Sasquatch Chronicles out uh, here in Vancouver, Washington, of people that have shot, you know, juvenile Sasquatch and had very detailed um responses from the alpha male of how, wh what happened to them and you can hear their voice trembling and um you know then suddenly a cleanup team shows up at the spot and takes care of all the evidence as though it's never happened so there's all these incredible stories but that's all mm -hmm. they are right right well that's why i posed the question um that leaned more towards you as a being out like a field researcher because this is, I mean, this is becoming a thing again, I've noticed. Um, all these, there's a lot of new shows coming up in this next season of, you know, new shows. It's not all just paranormal, but it looks like people are getting into Bigfoot research. 
I'm like, oh, are we going through another cycle again? This is going to be the next thing. So what are your thoughts to that? Like, do you work with other researchers or are you just like, oh, God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not another one. Because when you're, I find, like I said, when you're doing documentaries and they are supposed to be really educational, it's really hard because I'll use the paranormal as an example. There are a lot of couch investigators out there. And, you know, now with social media, it's not hard to be a group. And I commend everyone who comes together and can work in unity in any field. You know, some people don't have places they can go visit. They don't have groups they can join, you know. But sometimes if you don't do your homework, a lot of damage gets done also. And that applies to any field. Brett, talk about the scripted nature of television because a lot of people don't know how that works yes okay yeah that's a great that's a great <laughs> point um yeah i i've got all kinds of different thoughts about how reality show producers work and mm -hmm. um you know i've, I've kind of dipped my toes in that world a little bit so i understand um and i also have a, a family member that's been a producer of reality shows for you know 20 years some very popular shows so they're looking for a little bit different response from the audience than, you know, like a documentary is looking for. And, and right. we wanted to do something that um, really could help find its way into the, um, uh, the standard, what's the word I'm looking for? The general public, I guess you could say, you know, the, the folks out there that have a passing interest in Bigfoot or, or what have you. That's, that's an audience we wanted to get to because we want to start expanding the conversation. But going back to reality TV shows, um, you know, the a show like Expedition Bigfoot, I think for the most part has good intentions. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they're, you know, it's about the bottom line and they need to be making money. And, um, you know, I've been told a few times that producers and studios, when I say studios, I mean networks, mm -hmm. um, are afraid to show too much because they're afraid the audience can't handle it. So in other words, right? yeah, there's a, well, there's a formula, but in other words, if they were to really actually mm -hmm. capture a Bigfoot, they wouldn't show it on TV because, mm -hmm. you know, for one, that would be the end of the series, right? Um, two is they're just afraid that it would freak people out. You know, I mean, the, the infamous radio show, War of the Worlds, that Orson Welles did mm -hmm. um, so many years ago yep. was a massive social experiment that I think sociologists are still researching to this day i mean Terrified we found out people. so much about <laughs> yeah. the general population from yeah. that now obviously yeah. you know we live in a different time with the internet and you know all these faked videos and everything else but um you know i think that people need to be really careful um when they watch these shows they need to really kind of watch it with an open mind mm -hmm. um and realize that you know you can do a lot and you can say a lot with editing um, you know, it's extremely easy yes. to manipulate what somebody is saying or doing um, in some of these shows. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, keep just be careful is all I right. can say. You know, Absolutely. go out there. The most important thing is to just to go find somebody in your, your local area that is a Bigfoot researcher. And, mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, I think these people would be more than happy to do a cup of coffee with you. So just like just like Tobe did, you know, with his, his river guide. Um, don't be afraid, ask questions, and then go out and do the research yourself. 
mm-hmm. you know, and most of it, to be honest with you, is going to be pretty boring. You're going to be sitting around or walking around or camping <laughs> in the forest and mm-hmm. with the black flies and, and yeah, mosquitoes and, and yeah, exactly. absolutely. These, that's true. This phenomena will come up when you least expect it. Toe right. can also expand upon yeah. that. I mean, it's about, yeah, it's, Earth. it's about 90% of sitting around. I'm sure when you're in a house that's active or you're, you know, working a case, it's a lot of downtime um, and BS. And it seems like the phenomena is attracted to those downtimes. It mm-hmm. seems like the phenomena is attracted to uh, laughter. Mm-hmm. And um, I always call it the tuning fork method where, you know, you have to have both sides of the tuning fork in order to get the vibe going. And so you need that other person that is the attractant. And it's hard to narrow down in a group who that mm-hmm. is. It may not even be your spouse. It may be your spouse's friend. And then mm-hmm. you're having the awkward moment of trying to get you know, <laughs> your spouse's yeah. friend to come out in the woods with you. It's just like, what's up? Like, well. They got, the, they got the vibe going <laughs> so no offense but <laughs> yeah no, I mean, no, it gets into no. the right you know right. what i'm talking about the relationship yeah, aspect of this can get a little bit confusing no i i agree it is the same in research i find that i have gotten more more things happening just by sitting down and speaking with the homeowners and not doing anything they mm-hmm. did you know they just sort of get curious and like you play back recordings and you got like a boatload of stuff because everybody's got something to say. doesn't really matter which side of the veil you're on apparently. But um, I think it would be like that as well, even, you know, with this type of research, because they're just as curious about you as you are about them. How many stories do you hear where people are in their tents and they're just, you know, down for the night and they've got things rustling around going through the coolers or going through, bags and you know just just watching the tent and i think they are curious and and i do believe that they are telepathic therefore they know exactly why you're there i i think i tend to get more concerned about people who who really delve deep into these tv shows like well i'm going to go out and i'm going to get a group and we're going to go out and do this and how we say educate yourself never stop learning learn one new thing every day or something that you're interested in because it could ultimately save your life you know you ha- you can't just go traipsing around the woods at night that's another misconception it's the same thing in the field of the paranormal it doesn't just happen at night people it's 24 7 a lot of sightings happen during the day yeah right so absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. They do the night thing just for the effect on the shows. They're not really. No, but people go out at night too and use your cool equipment. Put on my night goggles. Okay. (laughs) I have my own equipment. So (laughs) So that's something else I don't understand. You're sitting there and you're, you know, with one of the shows we're just talking about. They got big flashlights out and if I want to be found, it's the last place I gravitate to is that crazy flashlight. Is that, is that just, again, a show effect or when do you go in really thinking I'm going to use like a flare, I'm going to use like night vision goggles and I'm trying to just, you know, blend in a little bit and not, you know, like. So they have to prove it scientifically because otherwise your best tool would be bringing in a medium. Yeah. Well, they did bring in a remote viewer. Funny that, but anyway, um, so um, as we, you know, we get a little bit closer to the end of the show, tell everybody where can they find your documentary? Where can they watch it? Where can they go? Okay. Well, um, we are on Amazon.com. 
You can run it on YouTube. Amazon. You can. (laughs) (laughs) It's on iTunes. Um, I think you know. I actually think it might not be on Amazon in Canada. I think it might only be on YouTube. Of course, it's not. That's okay. Uh, I have both accounts. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to belly it because I can. Voodoo. I don't know if you guys have Voodoo up there, but uh, V V U D U. Um, No, Michelle. Do we? No Hulu. No Hulu. No. Um, Voodoo. Voodoo, Voodoo, no. Hulu, yes. Voodoo.com. Hulu, okay. um, we have. Hulu's Vimeo yeah. is another one that, that, that is out there. Um, Nothing a good IP and Google Play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oops, did I say that out loud? Well, she lives on the border, Brett, so she can uh, pick up anything. I'm a little bit further away. <laughs> okay. Okay, so there are options, basically. Many options, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not hard to find. Okay, and how can... Is great. Everybody has that. And yeah. how can everybody find you guys? If maybe if they have a story they want to share, or you know, if they have questions for you, probably the best way to find um, at least at least us, the Bigfoot documentary folks, is um, bigfootdoc.com. And okay, it's just just like it sounds, bigfootdocdoc.com. Um, and I just want to clarify that we are not bigfoot doctors it is a bigfoot documentary right we throw that out there that was a bad joke anyway <laughs> um, but there's there's a I contact loved it. Page. it was great yeah <laughs> Thanks. I have a lot of podiatry questions punchy around here um yeah you, know, you can just contact us through the page we have a facebook page too um a flashy beauty bigfoot revealed on facebook okay. come find us like our page I, and if you like our page you're gonna you're gonna be seeing a lot more um you know we'll have some special features coming up here soon you can stay kind of in touch with us as we start working on the sequel which we've already started on okay that was my next question so part two is it's so part two should be coming out next year okay um you know i would say probably within the next eight to 12 months so you guys going to come back on the show and talk about that yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you let me know when that's coming up because we, we book at least that. <laughs> so, okay. If, yeah. So <laughs> if you know for sure um, and you give us some notice, we could put you in like even just before the release or something. Cool. Yeah. Cause we have millions of people who actually listen. So it's, nice. it would, yeah. Who, we, who knew? Who knew? Yeah. We were like, what really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're also nominated for a people's choice award second year. Yeah, wow. no, we're quite surprised. Wow. So you have Huge basically honor. what that does is it brings you know other people to listen to the show, maybe who've never heard of the show before, and because uh, mm-hmm. they go check out all the nominees and things like that. So you'll have extra people listening to this interview, and we hope that it uh, takes them to your documentary. I certainly am going to go and watch it, and mm-hmm. uh, it was really great having you guys on. It was just really, it was actually really nice to to delve into this a little bit without a lot of the typical, stereotypical things that, that we all hear. Very, so. very interesting. Thank you so much. Both yes. You're welcome. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Oh, really our pleasure. It. We look forward to the next one. Appreciate it. Take care. Have a great night. Chop, chop. You, you right. too. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Oh, gosh. Well, that was awesome. And um, that went just way too quick. Uh, The guys were great. And 
I'm really, I'm looking forward to seeing this. I'm actually going to watch it this weekend. So we obviously have come to the end of another amazing segment. I thoroughly enjoyed this segment. It was such a, a so a wealth of information. The guys are so laid back. It made it that much more fun. Um, so big thank you to Toby and Brett um, for joining us tonight. Big thank you to Folgers Coffee for sponsoring us tonight and every night. And from what I understand, they are... I guess they've signed on for another year. So we love you too. And uh, thank you, Dr. Snick, AKA Justin Snicker for also being a sponsor. So please remember guys, wherever you're listening to the show, if you make your way over to YouTube and you like the show, whether it's our outer realm page on YouTube or international public radio, UFO, paranormal radio, UFO gods, extraterrestrials, outer realm, please subscribe. It really does help us. And we appreciate you all for doing it. So thank you. Also, if you want to drop us a line, please do so at the outer realm contact at gmail.com. Again, the outer realm contact at gmail.com. Tomorrow night, we're bringing back Sean Williamson and Wayne Murphy. And they're going to be discovering, not discovering, discussing their discovery in Wisconsin, which is the Knights Templar here in North America. And let me tell you something. There is stuff, obviously, they're going to be able to say. There's going to be things that they're not going to be able to say. They mm -hmm. are watched pretty closely by a certain TV show, not to name names, right? <laughs> and um, very known for their wood. I'll leave it there. And um, Spot. I know, but it's a thing. But who are, you know, they are also very interested in this find. So we have to be very careful. Um, but it will be history changing. And there's so many things because we sit behind the scenes. We know what's been found so far. We know um, the research that's been done so far. And all I have to say is, holy crap, it, it's it's going to be mind-blowing when it comes out. So I don't know how much you're going to be able to say, but I do know that they are going to come up and they're really going to make this pretty, pretty darn cool. So I'm really looking forward to it. So if you have any questions, just um, might want to go in because this is actually going to be a pre-record. So maybe just go into under their banner. Like right now. Like right now and put some questions in there because we will check it out and we can ask them. So until then, um, behave yourselves tomorrow night. We will be in chat. We will be able to put up your comments and uh, the guys get to go back and watch it after that, which is great. And they do. And I've gotten a lot of compliments on the fact that they have so many people interested. Oh, a lot of our guests are really, really um, grateful for that. Wayne so, might even be there while the show is on because he's still on this side of the world. He it's is. Sean. Yes, exactly. So everybody, good night. Have a wonderful evening and we'll see you tomorrow night.